Oh, I could. You know who else they should? I'm going to send another link just to Christian as well. I'll just send one to everyone, everyone we know. You got any other Everyone suggestions? I know. No, it's okay. Uh, I could send one to Robert. I don't know anyone, if I have Thomas's. Anyone you like. Um, anyone's, anyone's welcome. I don't know. I would love to have Thomas on here, though. He's a very interesting guy. Yeah, what's his... I, don't, I mean, I have his... I don't know if I have his email. I mean, I don't mind inviting him. I've never done his I don't, with him, though. I don't have it off the top of my head, but I will, I'll I'll ask him when I talk to him. I'll probably talk to him this weekend, and I'll ask him to get on one of these. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. He's, he's got a lot of interesting things to say. His wife, too. She's just like... Very interesting a, as well. Yeah. They both have a lot of good stories, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. They're wonderful people. Hey, man, I want to ask you about something specific. All right. You told me at one time that there's this chapter in Ezekiel that had a big effect on you. And you you didn't elaborate, but I wondered if if you'd be willing to. That's interesting you asked that. I was like, recently, I was thinking about that chapter today, actually, while I was out walking. And I was recently thinking like, man, I need to somehow do a video on it. Um, I would say I could just read it, but it's kind of a long chapter, but, um, it basically, I mean, it had a huge effect on me. It like, I think, I think it shifted my, um, uh, very, uh, I don't know what you call it. Eschatology. Is that it? Of like the end times. That's when it started to shift more towards, and I started to see a more of a universalist perspective, I guess you could say, um, mm-hmm. because of the chapter of Ezekiel, because it just flat out says uh, you justified Sodom and Gomorrah. And so then that coupled with Romans 11 and um, let's see, I'll go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16 and Romans 11 and uh, just the parts where Jesus says uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are going to rise up in the judgment and condemn this generation because if they would have seen the things that you see, they would have repented. Um, so there's like this. And then in Luke, he says, um, what does he say? For those who knew better and still did the wrong, they'll get more stripes than those who didn't know better. So like, um, so that's basically what happens in this this chapter. I mean, I can read some of it if you want. I yeah. don't know. It's Ezekiel 16. But I mean, I love it because it just seems like, I mean, it really seems like the story of Israel, the story of the church, the story of, I guess, just a pattern of how how it works uh, all just kind of summed up in one chapter but so it starts out um again the word of the lord came to me saying son of man cause jerusalem to know her abominations and say thus says the lord god to jerusalem your birth and your nativity are from the land of canaan your father was an amorite and your mother a hittite as for your nativity on the day you were born your na- your navel cord was not cut you were not washed in water to cleanse you You were not rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. But you were thrown out into an open field when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. And when I passed by you, I saw you struggling in your own blood. And I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in a field and you grew, matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again, I looked upon you, and indeed the time 
was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, says the Lord God. And then I washed you in water. I thoroughly washed off your blood and anointed you with oil. Um, then he goes through and it's, I can kind of skip because I mean, it goes on. And so he says, basically, I clothed you with all these beautiful garments, everything, multicolored garments. Um, and then he says, and then once you were beautiful, you played the harlot with all the surrounding nations. Um, so then it goes through and it just says, you played the harlot with the Assyrians, the Philistines, the Egyptians, you played the harlot, uh, stretched as far as Babylon. Um, then uh, how degenerate your heart seeing you do all these things, the deeds of a brazen harlot. And then he's, um, and then after that, uh, he says, let's see, I'll, um, yeah, I'll go, I'll go through this part. It's a little long, but this is where this, this is what kind of started to shift today. I think this how to make a more part, but he says, indeed, everyone who quotes Proverbs will use this proverb against you like mother, like daughter. You are your mother's daughter, loathing husband and children, and you are your sister of your sisters who loathe their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father an Amorite. Your elder sister is Samaria who dwells with her daughters to the north of you. And your younger sister who dwells to the south of you is Sodom and her daughters. You did not walk in their ways nor act according to their abominations. But as if that were too little, you became more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look. This was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She had, she and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took away as I saw fit. Christians here. I'll let them in. So then it goes, Samaria did not commit half of your sins, but you have multiplied your abominations. Hey, man. Hey, I'm how's just, it going? Good. I'm in the middle of reading Ezekiel 16. I was telling Craig, this is where it kind of, this is what kind of shifted me to see a more universalist perspective. But so it's the part where uh, God takes in Israel to sum it up. God just goes into a covenant with her. She plays the harlot. And then he's saying here, like, your sisters are Samaria and Sodom. And uh, so he said, Samaria did not commit half of your sins, but you have multiplied your abominations more than they, and you have justified your sisters by all the abominations you have done. You who judged your sisters bear your own shame also, because the sins which you committed were more abominable than theirs. They are more righteous than you. Yes, be disgraced also and bear your own shame because you justified your sisters. When I bring back their captives, the captives of Sodom and her daughters and the captives of Samaria and her daughters, then I will also... Bring back the captives of your captivity among them, that you may bear your own shame and be disgraced by all you did when you comforted them. When your sisters Sodom and her daughters return to their former state, and Samaria and her daughters return to their former state, then you and your daughters will return to your former state. For your sister Sodom was not a byword in your mouth in the days of your pride. Um, so then he goes through that, and then it ends. You know, he comes back and he says, um, I'm going to. Then, then nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your older and your younger sisters, for I will give them to you for daughters, but not because of my covenant with you. And I will establish my covenant with you. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, that I'm the Lord, you, that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame when I provide you an atonement for all you have done, says the Lord God. So it's that basically in that along with Romans 11, where 
God basically says, I've committed all to disobedience that I might have mercy on all. Because, so it's like, when uh, you get the, you see uh, how great, how great your sin is uh, in comparison, you're like, I don't know, yeah, the mercy flows through you to other people. So that, mm -hmm. I don't know, that was, that, it still is, I think, one of the, my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, mm -hmm. that in Ecclesiastes 12, but yeah, it was a mm -hmm. big, a big shift for me. I don't know. I don't know if it's that way for everybody, though. Like, I don't know. I just, I remember oh, well. specifically, though, it was at the beginning of the year, and I was at the gym, because I still had a gym membership, and I was like, I'm going to try to go there and walk, because I, that's where I get most of my reading done, when I'm walking and reading, for some reason, so I would just go to the gym on the treadmill, and just stand there, and just read my Bible, and, uh, <laughs> and so then I remember, like, I was reading Ezekiel and it just hit me and I went out to the car and I was just like, Holy cow. Like, I don't know. This is amazing. Like it just, uh, yeah. kind of floored me for a second. I didn't know what to think at first actually. So would you unpack the story a little bit, the, the, the chapter there in Ezekiel, because I, I hear it and I, I, I imagine what I think is uh, salient to, but I'm curious what, what catches your attention particularly? Um, uh I, I mean it's the story of israel it's just it's like their whole story summed up in one chapter um i don't know like it it often just makes me cry because it starts out and he just says i saw you in your birth like you were just a baby covered in blood and i like that's how he found you and he picked him up uh just in this this helpless infant state washes him off clothes him gives him all these precious things and then um in the time of plenty, you know, they forget them. Uh, they grew fat and kicked and became prideful and turned to harlotry. And then, uh, yeah, then he comes back and he says, I remember you and your youth. Like, I remember you as a baby and I'm still, I'm not going to forget you and I'll bring you back and establish a covenant with you. But the whole process of uh, God really coming into communion and entering a covenant and drawing closer to them and then that uh you know it's it's that i think um i don't know it just seems like a pattern that always happens like the church did the same thing you know it's a mitch is here as well that's the whole gang everybody's popping in um um i'm not really sure exactly uh what's like, I guess specifically what the question, um, is there like a more specific question? Cause I mean, I don't know. That's basically what caught my eye with it is that. And, um, yeah, like, like when Jesus says the, they're going to rise up in the judgment and condemn you because if I would have done, if I would have been in a covenant with them and the, given them all those things that I gave you, all those precious jewels, all that stuff, they wouldn't have, uh, committed half of your sins type thing um so he's like i gave you more than i gave them and you you did worse sins than them you did uh, more is required of you like you know and then so that i guess that's kind of what stands out to me but the whole story i think just stands out to me it's just a beautiful beautiful passage which is i don't know would you make it explicit for me what's the connection between israel 
not behaving as well as these other nations and the idea that everybody will be saved. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, we're getting into more universal stuff here. Sorry, guys. It's always over. Always what happens, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Romans 11, I think, is that's, what I mean, these two together. I mean, there's other passages, like I said, the ones with where Jesus says they're going to rise up in the judgment and condemn this generation um, is one that I kind of tie in with that. But then Romans 11 is just, um, what does he say? Um, Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but on, but toward you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off Um, for, and they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in again, for God is able to graft them in again. I'm trying to see the right part here. Um, oh, wait, here, it's before this. He says, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David said, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. And it's like that stumbling block is all those gifts he gives you it's the righteousness like he that says says that also in ezekiel like um i think it's ezekiel 33 he says uh you oh i got my finger there so i'll just go back there it's in ezekiel 3 he says it and then in 33 it like kind of so ezekiel 3 he says um gosh where is it i thought it was three um Oh, yeah. Again, when the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. And so that I was always like, why the heck would God put a stumbling block before them? Like, that's just such a cruel move. Like, why why would he be like that? But then Ezekiel 33, 13, when I say to the righteous that he is righteous, he sh- he shall surely live. But he when he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteousness, righteous works shall be remembered. So it's like, that's the stumbling block. It's just inevitable when God says you're righteous, when he forgives you and says you're righteous and calls you to holiness and starts to clothe you with glory, then uh, you can fall into self-righteousness and pride. So then, and then you get this spirit of stupor in your eyes that don't see, ears that can't hear type thing. Um, sorry, I'm not really tying this in very well. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and so all israel will be saved as it is written the deliverer will come out of zion he will turn away ungodly lists from jacob for this is my covenant with them that when i take away their sins concerning the gospel they are enemies for your sake but concerning the election they are beloved for the sake of the fathers for the gifts and the calling of god are irrevocable for as you were disobedient to god yet now you have obtained mercy through their disobedience even so these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depths and the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Um, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom glory forever. Amen. So it's just that there's like this circular, I don't know if that ties it in. Like, does that make sense? I guess a little more. It's that one, it's specifically that one part, I think. Um, you have obtained mercy through their disobedience so that mm-hmm. through the mercy you got, they'll receive more mercy from you. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, it sounds like the 
the message of everyone being grafted back in is pretty, it, it's more explicit in Romans, not necessarily that chapter in Ezekiel, but it, it sounds like there's a really deep correspondence between those two passages. A lot of the imagery is. With the olive tree and stuff. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's parallel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like in Ezekiel, he says, I planted and you became a thriving plant and things like that too. Yeah. So that's, I mean, and I don't, like I, some people agree with me. Some people don't like, we're still, we're still having those debates, you know, I guess, but that's, mm -hmm. that's, I think what, what really pushed me to that. And just the more I, uh, I guess, like I embrace it now. At first I was just exploring the thought and the idea and then um, didn't know what to think of it. Like I said, when I first saw it, I want to say it was 2020, beginning of 2020. Um, I just kind of like, wasn't sure even what to think because it's like, wait, could really they all be saved? Um, it just, it, it just, the more I embrace it, the more the whole Bible makes sense. The more, the more the whole story makes sense overall, the whole, uh, uh, you can ask the questions, why, like, why did this happen? And it just starts to make more sense because God's trying to make man more and more and more and more and more into his image. And through that is just through this receiving uh, merciful spirit, because then you just become more and more loving and more and more uh, caring. Um, but yeah, I like, I always feel like I gotta emphasize like forgiveness isn't flattery type thing. Like when you're showing someone mercy, it's not like just like, oh, you can just, uh, you know, cause then that just leads to pride and air. Like you're just puffing someone up for no reason. But um, the other things too, is just like, there's verses, you know, I, I just don't think like I really, even reading today, I was like, man, some of this stuff, I just don't, I either just glaze over it or I don't really, really focus on it or take it seriously. Like when, when Jesus flat out says, receive the Holy Spirit, whoever you forgive, I will forgive. Um, it's just like, <laughs> like, I just read over that and I'm like, well, that can't, like, it's it like, just goes in one ear and not the other. But I'm like, he just flat out says, whoever you forgive. And then even the Jews come to him and they say, who can forgive but God, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus says, uh, the, this has been given to the power of man. Like man has this power to forgive sins. And and they're like astounded that he says that. And then, uh, you know, just the, the like, um, the only, the only sin that can't be forgiven is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which I think, according to me, like, I, I think that's just the spirit of, like, that's unforgiveness. Because I think he says, he says, I think every sin, like all sins, every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven man, except for this one. Um, so I don't know if that's like, that's another thing. Like I don't, I never really took seriously enough. The fact that he actually says every sin and all sin. And I'm just like, oh, it's just this, I, you know, but it's like, if, if the pattern keeps repeating, you know, if it's just his mercy endures forever, it's like what is not included in that the only thing that can't be in that would be excluded from that is unforgiveness uh if a forgiving spirit is working the only thing that's incompatible with it is unforgiveness and it's just you can't forgive unforgiveness it it just doesn't work which i don't know that i can explain all that well we need cal in here or something to break that down but that so i mean yeah i'd love like objections or anything that's just kind of what I don't know if that makes sense. Like I have a few other references here, but I don't know. They're probably just personal ones. 
And I have a quick thought just on the yeah unfor- unforgiveness being uh, unforgivable or whatever. And is that um, I feel like the the forgiveness is always available to us, but if we have unforgiveness, we are preventing ourselves from receiving forgiveness, right? So like that forgiveness is offered, but insofar as we hold on to our own like unforgiveness of other people or even like towards whatever, um, whether consciously or not, we hinder ourselves from receiving forgiveness in the very act of unforgiveness. Yeah, that's really good to clarify that for sure. Yeah, because I think, yeah, I think that's what, that's basically what I mean is why why it can't be forgiven is because, um, yeah, it's when you're unforgiving towards other people. It's kind of the same way about blame, like blamelessness. It's like, you know, God goes to Abraham and he says, walk before me and be blameless. And they're just like, how the heck is that even possible? But the only way to do that is to not cast blame, like judge that, judge not so you'd be not be judged like it said what's that saying like when you point the finger you got three pointing back at you so it's like just don't cast blame and you'll be blameless like so it's kind of the same thing if you harbor unforgiveness you can't uh it's it'd even be to your detriment if if you were forgiven uh with that spirit abiding in you um but then the other things i think that kind of add to it too where it gets into I mean, I always say that, like, I I think some of it is because I believe in the repentance after death as well. Um, and I probably believe in more of a purgatory than a hell. Um, and then, uh, but then, because he says, uh, I saw thrones and they sat on them, like when it talks about the, the in Revelation. So like the, and in Corinthians, it says the judgment's going to be given to the kingdom of God. Like people will have, it'll say, you'll sit on the, thrones don't you know you're going to judge the world to come don't you know you're going to judge angels and so it's like if if uh the, through the mercy shown you you might have mercy on all mercy triumphs over judgment it's like if i if you're sitting on the throne and christ doesn't come into the world you know to save the righteous he comes in the world to save sinners so if you see yourself a sinner uh um what does he say if i'm I don't know, Mitch, you know the verse, the one in Timothy, where Paul says about being the biggest sinner. Um, I don't know. Uh, so that, I don't know if you see, this is, a, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And it's like he was forgiven much, loves much. So those on the thrones should be showing the mercy, most mercy. Um, and then it's just, I mean, uh, it's just like that's, it's just the reconciliation of all things. It's the redemption of all things. Like it just, I don't, I don't know how I get around it anymore. It's just kind of like the more I think about it, the more I just, okay, like constantly, I, like even, even things like if I, even if I think about Hitler, like I just try to think about the extremes. I'm like, that I can forgive Hitler all day is the one thing. Like I, I could, uh, but I don't know that, but I don't know that my forgiveness matters. You know, it's like, He's, he would have to face the Jews he killed face to face, but there's not going to be reconciliation unless there is forgiveness. You know, it's like there's still going to be separation and there's still going to be torment and hell, and the soul is going to be tormented for the deeds he did, or the deeds done to them, unless there's actually some sort of uh, 
forgiveness. Um, even if that's through like some sort of payment, like penitence or something, but there has to be forgiveness because you could, I mean, if someone steals a hundred dollars for you or they give you a hundred dollars back, if you don't forgive them, then there's no, there's no reconciliation. It's just like, yeah, your hundred dollars back, but you still hate the person. What good does that do? Like it's, you know, they could give you $200 back and you might still hate the person. It's like, it doesn't, doesn't resolve anything. There's still death in the world. Yeah. That, that grafting back in language is, is really appropriate for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I don't know. Thoughts, thoughts, guys. Chime in what here. The, I'm talking too much. What was the bitch you're talking about where uh, he, the Pharisees confront Jesus and he tells them, huh? Never mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, was, I, I was out of line. Oh, I was just, well, I was just, what was that part where you're talking about? The Pharisees confront him and he says that he's given man the power to forgive sins. Oh, that's Matthew chapter nine. Um, it's the hearing, healing of the paralytic. Um, the one I thought you were going to ask about the Sodom and Gomorrah part. So, yeah, Matthew chapter nine. Um, where he says, see, that's the thing. Like, I think some of it too, is just like, I, for a year straight, I just think I, that theme was highlighted to me. And I think it was from Exodus because I was reading Exodus and I was just like, the God says, I'm going to speak to you about the mercy, mercy seat. This is where I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to speak to you to face to face from the mercy seat. And so I just was like praying, like, I got to know what this thing is. Like I got to become this mercy seat. Like I have to understand this. Um, Cause this is where God dwells and I, and then, so I kind of like, I think just that theme got highlighted. And so in this part, he says this, and this always stuck out to me, he says, but go and learn what this means. And it's like, Jesus actually gives a command here. Like go, go and figure this out. Like learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea there. Um, but it's verse eight mitch he says now when the multitude saw they marveled and glorified god who had given such power to men oh yeah that's really fascinating knowing their thoughts jesus said why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk but i want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins mm-hmm so yeah, when I first read that, I think, oh, he's talking about Jesus, like son of man, like, cause you can just single that down to Jesus. Like we mostly do, but then verse eight, it says they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men, plural. Like it doesn't say. Mine says Jesus. man, but says I man? mean, you would think that as, as broadly humankind. Oh, like yeah. Mankind. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, clearly the translators here think that he's referring to himself because they capitalize it son of oh. man and he that, oh yeah there it is that's a typical handle that he uses to describe himself right yeah uh yeah i think so like he doesn't call himself the son of god very often actually captain it's it's very rare and then when it is when he does do that it's kind of in quite strange circumstances as well which is you know in the gospel of john like it's all funky stuff man. it reminds me of okay so the two things in play here is he's he's kind of making this statement that he's both able to forgive and to uh make say to this man get up and walk like he's able to heal him and to forgive him of his sins 
And where is this authority coming from? We have to ask. Uh, and, and then if you look at the healings uh, and like then how, how are healings performed? Are they performed in the name of, of Jesus? And is that the one that has the authority? Such that in John, when he says to them that they have, that anyone sins that they forgive are forgiven. Um, and conversely, anyone sins they don't forgive uh, are not forgiven. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he, he tells them that. And so it, it seems to me that it's, it's on God's authority that man can be uh, forgiven or not forgiven. And I especially think that because it's like we're taught not to withhold uh, mercy from anyone. And here you have both of these things kind of. You have anyone you forgive is forgiven, anyone you don't forgive is not forgiven. Uh, so there is both mercy and condemnation at play in that. And the only person that, in my imagination, that can condemn or show mercy truly is in a, in a meaningful way is God. But that's kind of, I mean, I, I think I would normally agree, but then I think that's kind of the question of that Matthew chapter nine part because mm -hmm. that's exactly what they say who can forgive sins but god alone yeah and that's why i think that jesus there is making a claim to be god see what you're saying okay but then why does it say that the forgiveness is given to men afterwards and he gives yeah. a command to 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 go and <laughs> learn to be merciful um so when I look at, at chapter 8, when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Given, taking everything else into account, I think two things. Either the crowd misunderstood what was happening or uh, the crowd marveled that, uh, that God was going to use mankind in such a powerful way to, uh, to achieve his ends in the world. That they were... that. They, they were seeing the beginnings of, of believers becoming the body of Christ uh, as this was modeled and set forth by Jesus who founded the church and still remains its head. That's just how I would think of it. Any comments, guys? Someone else talk. I've been talking way too much. <laughs> well, part of me, um, part of me leans more towards your inclination, Jason. Uh, in that, in John, when Jesus is praying to God. And he prays that something to the effect of um, they will be in me as I am in you and you are in me. And I think with 
part of the whosoever shall believeth in me, part of that involves, even if by a lengthy process of theosis, but maybe perhaps just even at the baby step onset of faith, some degree of oneness with Christ and God. And not that you, not that I, Christian Golden, have the authority as Christian Golden to forgive someone their sins in the like cosmic sense of forgiveness, but like, but that I, just as much as Jesus was, is the Son of God and has authority through that relationship. I likewise, through faith in him, have that same authority, right? Uh, to, to invoke the name of the kingdom of which I've now become a part, right? And part of that involves um, forgiveness. It is part so, of that. So, oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. I, I, no, I didn't have anything else. <laughs> uh, that's not terrible habit. I wanted to ask, does part of that also involve condemnation? Because you'd think by that same token, you'd be able to, to condemn. Well, so I think my understanding of condemnation post-death and resurrection of Christ is simply the refusal of forgiveness. Um, so, like even even my understanding of let's say let's say Christ having the authority to condemn condemn my my intuition is that that's it's more akin to uh, people. <laughs> People are entitled to receive or not receive the forgiveness that's offered them and therefore bring condemnation upon themselves. Um, and that ultimately is, in a sense, through Christ because he offered through the utmost price paid, right? Like the forgiveness, the total, complete, utter forgiveness. And so to refuse that is to take upon, well, to refuse that is to refuse forgiveness, right? And so, and, and this kind of goes in line with Jason's thought about uh, something about unforgiveness being essential to the idea of this uh, unforgivable sin, right? It, but, but almost inverted, right? Where it's like um, the unforgivable sin I guess I'm, I have a slightly different view. I've, this is just coming to me now, so that's not really formulated very well, but like the unforgivable sin, and maybe, I, well, I guess they say blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, so I don't know how to articulate it that way, but I would think is just, if you, ref, if you are aware of the forgiveness that Christ offers you and you insist on refusing it, 
then um, I don't think you can forgive without receiving that forgiveness first, like forgive in the most meaningful sense. So, so to refuse salvation, to refuse the forgiveness through Christ is to necessarily preclude you from being able to engage in this that's talked about in Matthew 9, uh, verse 8 in particular, where it says the authority has been given to men, right? Like you're, you're refusing that authority to forgive. And therefore, implicitly, you are embracing unforgiveness, which maybe is tied to that unforgivable sin. But anyways, yeah. I think I understand what you're saying. Where I'm struggling is it, it puts the, the unforgiveness in the hands of the, uh, the person who is in the position to receive it. Whereas in John 20, you have this model of if you forgive someone, they're forgiven. And if you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. So but that's that's how it works, right? I mean, if you don't forgive someone, they're not forgiven. You haven't forgiven them. Like that's it, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, right? You can shut someone up in hell if you want to. I mean, don't you're gonna put yourself there as well because there's no reconciliation. Like if you if I if I if you took something for if I got mad at you mentioned, I was like, Well, I'm not gonna forgive you. And I just refuse to forgive you, no matter how much you repented. It's like, well, you're the this the sins retained like it's retained like you're i'm still putting it on you i'm still making you a scapegoat in some way i'm condemning you damning you whatever you want to call it and then i myself am cutting myself off from life uh the eternal life whatever like uh, there's there's just death between us and that's so like it uh that i mean that seems to me how like how it actually works in reality and then like when he says um the like christians talking about the the blasphemy against the holy spirit like when um if christ like if you could see christ as god's forgiveness like if christ is a symbol of god's forgiveness to man then it's like christ is full of the holy spirit and then when jesus breathes on him he says receive the holy spirit whoever you forgive i forgive um which you know the holy spirit's also called the spirit of truth uh he's the, called the comforter so there's other names for him as well so i wouldn't like I don't think I don't think it's right to just say, oh, it's just the spirit of forgiveness or something like that. But um I think to me, I think the blasphemy against that is when it's like when Krishna's talking about when uh, someone's offering you forgiveness and you say, No, I don't need that. Like screw off. Like who needs your forgiveness? Like I and you when you say that to God, it's just saying, like, oh, who cares about God's forgiveness? Like I did no wrong. I'm perfect. Like I don't need I don't need forgiveness on any level. I don't need that spirit. I could do better without it. And then how are you going to forgive other people? And when you're constantly rejecting that for yourself, there's like no humility there at all uh, to do that. And so, and, and so I don't think it's like, uh, I don't think it's eternally unforgiven is in a quantitative sense, but like in, you would say it's eternally unforgiven because it can never for eternally be forgiven. Because if you're constantly in that state, like there's nothing can get through to you. Like, you know, you, you can pour out love on someone, but if they're constantly like, I can do better, I'd do better without it. Um, then like, you can't, 
until they repent and get out of that like i don't think it, it can ever be forgiven like it, it can't ever be covered it can't ever be just like dismissed the spirit like it's always just it's always damned sort of thing uh that that blasphemy against the holy spirit you would say um but uh, and i don't think it's one of those like one and done type things where you could say a, a thing and it's like oh this is now you're eternally damned and you can never find your way back uh because i think you can't when you're engaged in that spirit you can't find repentance because you don't want it like you're just like i don't need it it's, he's trying to offer you forgiveness and you're like you can't find repentance because you're like i don't I don't, I don't need repentance because I don't need forgiveness. So it's not, that's, that's how it works to me. I mean, there's probably a lot of objections to that, I guess, but. No, I'm just still struggling because it, it starts out in this kind of realm where like, when I, when I refuse to forgive someone, uh, then, then they can't be, then they're not forgiven. Yeah. Not by you. But then it transfers into this kind of state of uh, uh, it, it turns into the, the person who would be the object of forgiveness. It, they become culpable as the conversation continues. They become culpable in their own unforgiveness. The person, okay, wait, can you lay this out for me again? I didn't track right. The person that's okay. uh, not okay. being forgiven. Okay. This guy uh, is culpable in their own unforgiveness. Who's not being forgiven? Yes. So it's who's who's maybe it's both of their fault. Is it the person who's not forgiving them that's responsible for their state of condemnation, or is it their fault for not receiving the weight it wasn't given? They weren't being forgiven to begin with. So what's happening when I when I don't forgive someone? They're not being forgiven. I have the power to condemn someone. They're not condemned because condemnment, condemnment is the absence of the forgiveness. Yeah, if they're I not mean, forgiven, if they're not forgiven, then they haven't been forgiven. <laughs> yeah, like the, like it works both ways. I think, like you're saying, like so, if neither one, like if this one's not offering forgiveness and this one doesn't want it, then they're just going to keep going for it's just more and more death between them. Like the relationship's getting further and further severed. But if like this one wants to be forgiven and this one won't give it, like this one's damning himself because this well, one's bowing no. down to that one. That so, one is condemning them because whoever you do not forgive yeah. will not well, be forgiven. Yeah, he's condemning them. But then ultimately, like, you know, they're they're seeking out forgiveness from them. They're wanting love. They can't find it. So they would still be in the state of condemnation because they can't find it. Like if we're just bringing this down to a practical level, like say between a father and a son, the son sins against the father. The father says, I'm never going to forgive you. The son is constantly begging, seeking approval of his father. His father just keeps damning him. You're not going to be forgiven. Like, but the father is ultimately damning himself too, because that is his, that is him in the flesh. Like that's his, that's his seed. That's his future. That's, that's everything. The father's killing himself in doing that. Like it's, he is the image of the father so he's killing himself and not forgiving him so he's damning himself by damning his son without even realizing it uh and then the son is the same way like the father wants to forgive the son but the son says no like i'm, I'm done with you like they're just like there's so there's unless it's both like repentance and forgiveness together i think that's when that it, it works yeah 
so condemnation can happen in two ways to two different types of people. The two ways it can happen is by one person not forgiving you or by not accepting forgiveness. And the two people it can be happen that it can happen to are the ones who want forgiveness and the ones who don't want forgiveness. Of course, I'm most concerned for the ones who do want forgiveness who are not going to get it. Well, oh, well, yeah, I guess you could say that in, yeah, in the example I gave, they might not get it because people are, are cruel like that. But if it's God and you're pouring out your heart to God, I think he's always ready to forgive. Well, I thought that we just took the authority of God and put it in the hands of men. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a very good point. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's something I hesitate to say this. I'm trying, I've been trying to be quiet because I'm trying to see this from perspectives it feels like this conversation is kind of getting strangled by uh, by the fact that we have a sense that there's the forgiveness and condemnation of the two human beings but then we also have a sense that there's this cosmic forgiveness in, looming in the background and the, that's the thing that is making this sticky yeah well i think the reason i think the reason it is that's why I think it has to be universalism because I think the cosmic forgiveness is is kind of what um, what Christian mentioned earlier for earlier that they all may be one that we are one like the whole creation is groaning waiting for the sons of God it says in Romans eight like the whole creation is groaning waiting for the redemption of the sons of God that God's children will actually reflect His image and be like merciful creatures like truth sitting in the mercy seat they'll be that and they'll and so that i think um it is put in the hands of man like i think we're just talking about but i think um there's i'm trying to think of the right way to describe it it's like it's hard to put in words because it's just uh it's i see it like the way it works out in my head is it's just yeah it's the reconciliation of all things back into the one like that they all may be one that we are one and that is the like it's a trinitarian pattern sort of thing like if the one the one spirit that's going to pull them all back together is that spirit of forgiveness and that's put between um but between man and man uh because that spirit comes down from god that's what you would unify the father back to the son on a practical level but then I don't know. I guess that is kind of a hang up though, because you would say like, see, here's where it gets tricky for me is because uh, it gets into the, the idea of memory too, because I'm like, if they're, if you are, if you fall before God and beg forgiveness and your father still won't forgive you, like, then you could be reconciled back to God and you could have peace with God and worship God. But are you going to forget your father? And then really when, when would you ever actually be in heaven if you're constantly thinking my father is damned forever? It's like that mercy should flow from God to you and never stop touching him until he, until he receives it. Like, and he's, and that's what it will burn. That's what will burn him because mm -hmm. he's constantly resisting it. Like that love from God. And so I do think it is cosmic and it is like this, circular binding that's pulling all one back into the many because you're gonna even in the like even if your father passed on it's like you're still gonna remember him and it's like you're gonna still be 
I mean, people do that. They pray for lost loved ones that they think could be burning in hell or purgatory. It's like they'll still weep for them and be like, deliver them. Because it's like you have them in this memory and you just want, you want reconciliation. You want to, you, you don't want to, at least I don't, I wouldn't want to end up in heaven and, and uh, not see my loved ones. Like I would want to, or not see, uh, not see everybody. I don't know. It's just. So I think ultimately that, like Christian mentioned, theosis, like it's a, it might be a long process, but I think it will eventually get, get there. I don't know. Yeah, I think, um, no, I'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned, because it's on the top of my mind, and now <laughs> it was on the top of my mind to mention, and then you mentioned it, and now I forgot it. Um, but maybe I'll come back to it through, through maybe adding this in with relation to authority, right? Cause, cause in Matthew nine, eight, it says, you know, this authority has been given to men and <clears throat> while, and, and this authority being, let's say that authority that was first given to the son of man, right? Um, Jesus was the, let's say archetype for, the proper execution of that authority, right? So there's like, for any given person who's given any sort of authority, they will, to some greater or lesser extent, live up to that authority, use it properly, misuse it, neglect it, abuse it, whatever, right? So it wouldn't be any different with this authority to forgive. Right. And, and, and even if we're saying that this forgiveness, even, even if we were to say that this forgiveness isn't just in the realm of the relationship between me and the person that I'm forgiving, even though I think that's, that's part of it. Even if we say that it's actually the cosmic sort of forgiveness, there's the authority is for us again, not to, I don't think to, to, to speak, to be the one who actually, um, let's say, performs that forgiveness, but but to be the one with the authority to offer that forgiveness on behalf of the one who's actually uh, for forgiveness himself. So it's like you have the heavenly, like the, the heavenly heavenly, not the heavenly on earth, but like the heavenly heavenly who has the ultimate perfect, who has the ultimate authority and the perfect execution of that authority to forgive. And then there's mankind who he has delegated the authority on earth to execute that authority to the best of their ability. But we, we can be unforgiving, which is sinful on our part. And I think grossly sinful because as opposed to being a bridge between the heavenly and the earthly were being a wall between the heavenly and the earthly, right? So it's like we're just heaping bad bad juju on ourselves for, for doing unforgiveness. But um, sorry, I'm on NyQuil and it's starting to kick in. So my, my mind is going to slowly deteriorate. I'm on NyQuil. <laughs> I'm coming down with something. I was like, I got to jump on this call. But um, so there's... To me, I see this kind of two 
spheres in which the cosmic sort of forgiveness can be transmitted to the forgivees, right? To the person who needs the forgiveness. And when we identify someone who recognizes that they need forgiveness for something and they want forgiveness for something, and let's say it's in relation to a specific individual, and that specific individual is refusing the forgiveness, even though, let's say they, even if that person is uh, a representative of the kingdom of God, right? So that they're being unforgiving, even though they're a representative of the kingdom of God. But that forgiveness is still being offered from above, right? So that's all great that I still get the forgiveness from above. Um, but now I still have this, as Jason was talking about, you still have this like broken relationship here because this person's not willing to forgive me. Right. So in a sense, even though I know that I'll experience, I know that I'm not blocked from heaven because God has forgiven me. I am blocked from heaven on earth in this sphere of my existence here because of this person who has unforgiveness towards me. And likewise, that person is refusing for themselves a portion of heaven on earth by being unforgiving towards me. So we have the authority on earth to manifest that forgiveness from heaven through us. We have, we've been given the authority to do that. But it's not our forgiveness exactly. It's still his forgiveness, right? Um, we're not the ones who died on the cross, right? Even though actually in Romans, it kind of says that we are in a sense because we were crucified with Christ. But um, that's a whole different thing, I think. But uh, yeah, I get your, Mitch, I get your like hang up on that, on that, that particular issue with in what sense... What is this authority that's being talked about? What kind of forgiveness are we talking about? And um, how does that relate to God's forgiveness of man through faith in Christ Jesus? So and how know. does it how does it relate to when and when we should not condemn someone? Yeah, so I don't Mitch, it seemed like when we were talking a moment ago, you were kind of, it seemed like you were kind of playing ball with what Jason proposed and where it didn't, it didn't seem completely natural to you. And it seemed like you were just you hypothesizing with this. Is there a way of making sense of this that, that you like that feels natural to you? Oh, well. With Matthew nine, I, I have something of a of an understanding, and it's and it's not really out of line with a lot of what Christian was saying, uh, but that it's that it's that it's God that has the authority to forgive sins. Um, but John nine actually really does kind of confuse me. Uh, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Uh, 
And then I, I remember what you guys were saying about, yeah, if you're forgiven, then just not forgiven. Yeah. Well, living in unforgiveness. Well, if you think about it, like even if there's a sense in which while we're alive here on earth, the fact that God has forgiven our sins, um, I really don't mean this in a irre irreverent way, right? But it's like, it's all like well and good, but if the person who was the victim of my sinning uh, is still still has hatred towards me and can make my life on earth a living hell, right? Like, there's a very real sense where I'm, I'm literally not forgiven, even though cosmically I am forgiven, right? So, like, I'm and I'm going to have to live with the fact of my unforgiveness from this other person. The let's say the earthly condemnation from this other person, despite the fact that God has forgiven me, right? And I mean, I don't know if this really relates, but I was kind of thinking of this sort of thing with the whole Jeffrey Dahmer thing. You know, there was like a Netflix series or whatever. And so Jeffrey Dahmer, if you didn't know, he's a serial killer. He got caught, went to prison, in prison. He got saved, got baptized, and um, and then someone killed him in prison, right? Um, and I, there's this fuzzy area that I really don't know. Like I err on the side of, well, I try to err on the side of forgiveness, but there's this fuzzy gray area of like, okay, it's a kind of a law of spiritual nature that as you sow, so shall you reap. And like, let's say Jeffrey Dahmer killed all these people, was in the process of going to court to eventually be sentenced to prison. Before he even gets sentenced to prison and found guilty, he gets, let's say he gets saved at that point. And I'm like, okay, if everyone who's involved in that trial is a Christian who is familiar with the scripture that says, if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. Are they then required to forgive that person to the extent that they don't imprison that person? Like, what does that forgiveness actually like mean in this world in terms of like manifesting heaven on earth? you know what i mean like it's it's a fuzzy thing because it's would it be in a sense it feels like someone would have to go to prison for him if he's not going to go to prison right and we can say in the cosmic sense all right jesus already kind of did that in the cosmic sense but anyways i, I say all that to say you know i think there's something to this idea of forgiveness and condemnation between men as as it not as opposed to but like uh in relation to forgiveness and condemnation between man and god there's there's some some relation there that i think we're trying to get at i think you're exactly right i think that really does solve the problem with this weird strange thing if you forgive anyone's sins their sins are forgiven if you do not forgive them you're not forgiven it's authority to to go forth with the message that jesus has had and say yeah, this is wrong and this is right. It's an authority to 
to to speak to things and it's in its own nest in love because if the person is cast out from the church it's it's that they might be saved you know they're turned over to the devil so they what is it jason the destruction of the flesh how their spirit might be saved yeah it's yeah, yeah. i think this is maybe more of an earthbound kind of authority that they're being offered here It seems like the, the the laws that we have were given with our finitude in mind. And that's really interesting. And I mean, yeah. I think you might be right about that. I was actually thinking about that more because you brought that up recently about laws being part of our our finitude of this time we're in with space and time. Um and it just makes you think that they didn't start with laws. Like, I mean, that's kind of what was make me, making me think of. In the garden, there was there was one law, like one, one. well, I guess you could, they'd say well, there was a man, do this, like be fruitful and multiply. I don't know if that was a law, but there was one, like don't do this one thing. Don't need the tree of knowledge. And then after that, uh, there wasn't anything else. And then there was the flood. And it's like, can't that's why i'm like you can't really damn anybody in the flood can you like they all die but as far as like their soul goes they had they can constantly go before the throne of god and say we didn't you know you didn't tell us anything you didn't give us any direction of course we died in a flood like we didn't have any direction there were no laws mm. um and the law didn't come till moses like it didn't come till moses so it's like there there didn't actually used to be a law it came like little by little you know which is kind of interesting. But then that kind of makes you wonder what's going to happen to it, though. Like, does it, I don't know. For those who I want think, to hold on to it, I don't know. Yeah, part part of me rests that kind of stuff, like, with every everything post, uh, uh, I guess everything post Adam and Eve or whatever, or, or even from the creation of Eve on, I have this sense that it's like it's more Adam's fault that Eve ate from the apple than it is Eve's fault. Um, there, I think there's like a couple of reasons. Hold on, I don't. I want to make sure I don't get too far off track from what we're already talking about. But um, feminist? No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah. I'm joking. Because, um, well, okay. God told Adam not to eat from, he told Adam not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? That was before Eve even existed. So she didn't exist yet. So either God also told Eve or Adam gave the message to Eve, whatever. Okay. And wrapped up in that, in, in like whether or not they're going to be fruitful and multiply and whether or not they're going to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The reason they're going to do those things is because they love the Lord, their God with all their heart mind soul blah 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 right like it's the same and, and love each other as themselves like literally the <laughs> what jesus calls the greatest commandments straight straight from the beginning as soon as god told them to do things like the whole, only reason you would do something god tells you to do especially given that there's now two people adam and eve at some point it's those those two first commands and so i brought that up because with the flood stuff and all that there's a responsibility of man. There's there's an authority given to man, and a, therefore a responsibility given to to man to 
first themselves embrace and embody that love of God to do God's will. And then through that to, to plant those seeds in the hearts of those around them. Right. And I, and I feel like more often than not, and this is kind of naturally the case, like more often than not, that gets watered down over time, right? The seeds kind of get mutilated over time. They get crossbred with these, like, not quite love the Lord your God seeds so that the plants that grow and the fruit that grow on the trees are just kind of like slightly poisoned a little bit more over time. And so I'm with you, Jason, with the, like, well, how do you condemn, let's say, the people who died through the flood? Because while they did have some responsibility, perhaps, if to the extent that they were aware of the will of God and to the extent that they disobeyed what they were aware of, they have some responsibility there. Right. Yeah. Um, but it seems very, it seems uh, almost like inevitably true that there were people around them that failed to teach them that um, through, through the course of generations, like, you yeah, know, they were around for a long time. Yeah. I'd like to clarify, I'm not excusing them because like I don't think the flood was just just chaos. Like it says right. the world was filled with violence. So it's like and I think to some degree everybody probably has written on their heart like that this is I mean, I guess you can always sear your conscience over and so, over and over to where maybe you just become numb to certain things, but I would think at some level you would uh because I mean you see it in children, like I think they even have this the law of God written on their heart where they like, they kind of know intuitively this is not right to murder each other, but I don't know. So I think, uh, yeah, it was a specific type of chaos back then too. And I don't think it was, uh, should be excused, but I guess my point was like, you know, they can't, um, uh, they, you could kind of, in one sense say like, God, you know, where's our direction? You, you rested on the seventh day you were just sitting there on a couch like how come you didn't direct us more or something you know i don't know i don't know i'm just giving you an example you know it's stupid thoughts but yeah. it's kind of neither here there nor there i guess because it also says the world that then existed perished so it seems like it was a different time as well before the flood but um i don't i don't know i think i'm getting a little off topic my friends i gotta go you guys what? keep going what Craig? I wanted to hear your thoughts on this, though. You've kind of been quiet. You got any thoughts before you go? That's just that's just the way I like it. I'll catch you. No, <laughs> I wanted you, to. Be... You, you accomplished your mission this time. He said he see wanted to talk, and then he just sat there this whole time and made see me it. talk. All right, see, see you, man. Another part, though, I like. I thought I would bring up because um, I always thought this was interesting. Um, and this is probably just because I think. Um, we're given this world we live in to understand the, the like the patterns from above actually come manifest in this world like everything comes from god but the the part with uh in acts when paul is being accused um and if you look at like the accusers like that's kind of the spirit of you know unforgiveness the spirit of satan the spirit of pride is like the because he's called the accuser of the brethren in revelation or something you're trying to make someone else's scapegoat basically pointing the finger but it's acts like it's his whole like I mean it goes on for chapters his whole uh the whole story it's like why is all this in there he's putting being he has to go before the judges so you can kind of see it as like this divine council type thing and there's being 
accused by his brethren before the judges and they keep he keeps appealing to higher levels he's like okay well take me to take me before rome then i need to go before caesar like take me before god's throne basically the highest the highest in the land or something i appeal to that uh but there's this part in there that it said i always thought was kind of neat it says um it's chapter 25 verse 16 i think yeah that's one i have highlighted but he's before I'll read at 13. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to uh, Caesarea to greet Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king and said, there's a certain man left a prisoner by Felix about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them, I answered, it is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face. And has an opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. And just that part, like the accused has to meet the accuser face to face. Yeah, that reminds me of the wait and the tears kind of thing. It's like, you don't know the difference yet, so don't burn it. But it's like, you haven't met your accuser face to face yet, so we're not going to judge it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was thinking, too, as in just the fact of, like, brother between brother, too, though, like, then in, uh, um, like, even, like, kind of with, uh, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them, and, like, if you're, if you are in the throne, if you're gonna condemn, uh, you gotta be the first one to throw the stone, type thing, and, like, can you, can you really do that, <laughs> like, that's where it gets it, like, that's what it says in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, like, if you're gonna throw a stone, if you're gonna stone somebody, uh, the accuser has to be the first one to throw it. Uh, it's like that's, yeah. and you got to do it face to face. Like I don't know, that'd be tough, is what I'm saying. Uh, that it, is so peculiar, man. And I don't think about it enough. I know you've talked about it several times. That you know, what was it you were referencing just then? Were they on the thrones? Um. So you look at First Corinthians. The one I referenced, I saw thrones and they sat on them as Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Um, but you're wanting to take me to Corinthians? Corinthians, I think, is the one where it says you're going to judge angels. I mean, it, it, it gets into that too. So he says, uh, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep come. This is chapter. This is the end of chapter five right here. I wrote to you, uh, verse nine. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet certainly I did not mean with sexually immoral people of the world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, or is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater or even a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from your from yourselves the evil person. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not one wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to brother, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. 
Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that un the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he goes into the, the, the list, the list, but yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you, so this is super interesting. You know, do you not know that you will judge angels? Yeah, isn't it? It's crazy stuff, man. Uh, yeah, but angels are, are not each other. That's not. Um, wait, what do you mean? Angels are. Well, we're talking about me judging the world, the saints. What, oh, there was a bit with the saints. What was that? Judge a dispute between believers. But the saints will judge the world. Did I make that up in my head? No, I did verse two. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Yeah, okay. This is right after he says, That's don't so judge those you know who are outside. Makes me think of is this, this weird kind of doctrine about the two judgments. Uh, there would be one that judges your deeds and it's like according to uh, you receive rewards according to your deeds and then there's like a second judgment that has to do with or vice versa. Have you heard this before? The Like the one's the judgment seat of Christ and the other one's the great white throne judgment sort of thing? Like there's two of them? No, no. Like one, oh maybe, but like I've heard this before because there, there's all this talk about how you'll be the least or the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay. And so yeah. some people will say that there's two judgments. There's one that judge sort of your, whether you're in heaven or not, and then the judge you, uh, you're standing in heaven. <laughs> I'm not sure how popular that idea is. The throne you get sort of thing. The, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, the accountability. I don't know. That, that kind of, I mean, that may kind of makes sense, I guess, like according to our experience here. I, I guess. don't know much about it, but I know I've heard it, people say it before. Something um, this makes me think of that I've only really heard of pretty recently that I think is pretty intriguing and scriptures that you just read kind of back it up, I guess, is this idea that uh, so the process of becoming um, a better Christian that for lack of a better term, I guess, is like the process of re the process of getting back to the garden. Um, because there's this sense in those scriptures and even in scriptures that say like resist not evil and stuff like that. And even the judgment that's talked about here that, that we're supposed to enact, this is like, this is like, like post, uh, this is not while we're in this life, right? The judgment that we're going to partake in is not in this like worldly life. So I have this sense that the process of us becoming, let's say, more, uh, us surrendering more into like, union oneness with christ is a process of uh 
of forgiveness, which is inherently a process of undoing the effects of the eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Because judgment, judgment, before you can make judgment, you have to know good and evil, right? Like that's the only way you can make a judgment. And I think the reason that part of the reason it was wrong for us to eat from the part of the reason God didn't want us to eat from the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was because we weren't yet prepared to wield that authority and responsibility that comes with the judgment that comes with that knowledge and forgiveness is how we uh, relieve ourselves of that burden of that authority and responsibility while we are yet unable to properly wield that responsibility. Whereas once we are, once we have ascended or whatever you want to say, like once we are uh, absent from the body and present with the Lord, then we are more properly equipped to wield that responsibility of judgment, right? So during, so, so this life is for us to aim at manifesting heaven on earth in such a way as to be forgiving and merciful such that the the let's say the poison from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is extracted from our blood you know so it's like we're just we're just operating off of uh scripture says the law brings death and love brings life right or what is it love brings life the law brings death but the love brings life spirit, something the spirit like the letter and the spirit brings life I think yeah it's something like that but love yeah. I would, yeah i don't think you're wrong for saying that and so and so i think right right and so this recovery of of the Garden of Eden, this manifestation manifestation of heaven on earth, this theosis slash entering into union with Christ, is that process of uh, embracing and maybe becoming more holistically the that which brings life, as opposed to the the colder sort of law and judgment side, which when wielded without a without already being a perfectly loving being necessarily brings death right something like that mm -hmm. i don't know why i brought that up well i think i think the uh the thrones and been sitting on them well i think it's like the the truth like nestled within love or truth and mercy type thing like the truth is mm -hmm. like christ on the cross and stephen the martyr too it's like uh right before they they both get killed it's like they just blast people with the truth mm -hmm. like christ is like woe to you scribes pharisees hypocrites like uh and stephen's just like listen here's here's your whole history this is what happened you went through egypt you did this and you just blast them with the truth 
and then they kill him and their response is uh forgive him lord they're mm-hmm. they're blind they don't know what they do so there's all that yeah. truth that's that remains and that calls people higher to a level so they can see like here's the truth here's here's the higher state here's the ideal here's where we missed it and then what is uh underneath our fall is forgiveness and it always remains and it's like that's it's a christ is at the bottom you know the bottomless pit is when you i think when you don't have forgiveness because like if, if christ actually forgives like then you'll always hit a bottom uh you can he's able to save the uttermost like so you can you can find him down there and in, in, in any abyss but it's like because that all that truth is like the the forgiveness is there sorry i thought i heard some um yeah it's like it's it, it's within mercy so i think I me mean, that's what uh i don't know it's i don't know idea. that's it yeah i think so and i think that's the m- mercy is without no judgment without mercy is to him who has shown no mercy mercy triumphs over judgment so i think that's the yeah that's the i desire mercy and not sacrifice god dwells on the mercy seat like his chariot is the mercy seat like it's uh it's um i don't know and that's the thing too like i think it's all one thing like when it talks in song of solomon love is as strong as death and jealousy is as cruel as the grave like it relates in proverbs it relates jealousy to wrath and it's like what a blessed thing that god is actually jealous for his creation and his love burns like fire like it's gonna like it, it's like that's a good thing like what's terrifying to me is when you talk about mitch like when when you don't see face to face when god like if god would actually turn his face away from you it's like then you're just like then what then then it's just like uh for forever just chaos it's just like there's no um but when he's actually looking at you god i mean it sucks because our god's consuming fire like it feels like it sucks but it's just like he's he's loving you into more life and it's um uh it it, it feels like it sucks when you resist it i guess um when you're not willing to die to yourself which is in so many ways and the reason you have to die to yourself is usually just for others because it's like because there's i'm just i am just being selfish or self-centered or something or it seems like it all comes from pride in some in some area. I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh things. My mind keeps popping around now. I don't even know. Um yeah, another one I had written down was the Philemon one. I always like that too. That's just a good uh story of reconciliation. And I love when Paul says, put it to my account. I'm just like, you know, that's fascinating to me. Like that you could, that I could, that I could do that. Uh, Cause I really think, I really, really, really think you can do that with God. Cause you could look at someone else and say, God, put that to my account. And I think that is saying, forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they do. I think that's that exact same thing is that's taking someone's sins upon you is being like, put it to my account. You know, Craig's kind of right about this whole distance being the back and forth between cosmic forgiveness and earthly forgiveness yeah if 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 all comes from god like if god revealed uh i think this what gets into a and that's why i wish kind of i wish cal was in this he can just describe this stuff better than me but like god being the infinite and like 
and finding himself in his creation and like they're all connected so it's like the if all is one if all is going to be one as he is one all came from one and all be go back to one like that all would be one as your one then it is all connected it's like it's, it's it's weird it's like it's different but it's not and so like love the lord your god and love your neighbor which is like it like it's like there's no the struggle with god is the struggle with your brother like with jacob and esau it's like it's who's he struggling with like when you read the story story it's like he was struggling with his brother and then he has a dream and struggles with the, the angel of god and it's like and then he goes and meets his brother right afterward like it's i think that's that's the story of, of israel of the of humanity it's like this uh yeah the, the what's that what's that movie you quote like what can we forgive i think that's the struggle a lot of times it's like it's how are how how are we gonna yeah it is our struggle it's very very connected with our own mm-hmm. our own heart because yeah. what can we forgive has everything what can we forgive has everything to do with recognizing uh our need for that cosmic forgiveness yeah what can yeah, we yeah. forgive on earth has everything to do with that but uh to me it's like man it would it's two different things it's two different things yeah but i think they all pull back like yeah I, you see what i'm saying like i think it okay here's where i think it's not two different things like i think it i think it is different but i think it all pulls back to one thing and i think it all is the cosmic thing because uh it's maybe unrelated personally like even so today i was out like walking and reading the bible out where i used to live and i thought about driving by an old house i don't know i was just thinking about it but i was like you know there's um i was listening there's this song and it was one of the reasons like that kind of actually helped me sell my house but it says uh want some things you can't go back to uh some things need left alone uh don't mess with the memories of a life passed on um, and then it says, I don't want to see this house not be a home. Um, and so it's like the kingdom of heaven is, is that a house or is that a home? Um, because if it's, because like the, to me, a home is like when my dog died and it was just me in the house, then it was just a house and it wasn't a home anymore. Like it just wasn't, it was. And so, and so it, if the kingdom of heaven is not, is not your brother, I don't see how it's a home. Like, I think it's just, uh, it's, it's just empty, you know? And so the, that, that's where I think, I think the cosmic forgiveness is connected to the individual forgiveness and it just works practically until it pulls all back into the one. Um, because, uh, I don't think heaven would just get smaller and smaller, but this way it just gets bigger and bigger because it's continually pulling all back into the king, like it's pulling all back into God through forgiveness. So it's continually growing um the more god loves the more he loves through us the more that love spreads to others and it continually grows and the cosmic forgiveness just gets greater and greater and if it's not if it's not one and the same forgiveness if they're not connected then i think it just uh yeah it just it it like you know you know what i'm saying i don't know it doesn't like reproduce it doesn't it doesn't like continually it's not like spiral it would just kind of um I think I think it's all connected because I don't think heaven would be heaven without uh, the without relationship without everybody. But I think the struggle is the um, how do you have a brother 
because like the whole unity uniformity thing like you can't have like it's not if it's uniformity it's not really unity because you're just looking at yourself in a mirror it's just like duplicates of yourself whatever so the problem is like you need someone separate from you so that means you have to have a fall right because they have to leave your identity to get their own identity in a way to be separate but how do you keep them in unity it's like you have to have a spirit of forgiveness because you're not going to be the same person all the time. So you're going to have differences that are going to have to have a little bit of play. Does that make sense? So like God is, Jesus could be the ideal man. He's the perfect man, but he's constantly dying of himself in all these little tiny ways. Like you don't even have to put Jesus. You could just say the ideal man. Like you'd use any superhero you want, any perfect image. And it's like, so anybody that doesn't look like that, are they not a man? No, the ideal man is constantly like giving forgiveness in this way and that way. Or anybody that's got perfect, it's just the perfect display of morality. He's got to be like, like, are you not a man because you like aren't as chivalrous as this person or something? It's like, no, you could still, you still are included in that image because it's like the forgiveness is constantly allowing separate identities and keeping them within the one. And so I think that's, uh, that's the but that's the struggle that's the struggle with your brethren that's the struggle with god it's all the same struggle it's like two are in the womb there's two brothers and they're going to be sep two nations they're going to be separate from each other what like how are they gonna if they're going to be separated what's going to keep them together like how will they still be one and it's like even if, if they get separated what would pull them back together is forgiveness and that's what you see when he goes to meet his brother and he crosses the river and he says, I see your face, like I see God's face. What does that mean? Uh, he says, so he, so Jacob struggles with Esau in the womb, kicks him by the heel, um, steals the blessing, right? And then, and when he goes to cross the river to meet Esau, he's getting ready to meet him. He has a dream. He struggles with the angel, takes the angel by the, like, won't let the angel go and says, give me your blessing. Until he won't let the angel go until he gets a blessing from the angel. It's exactly like Esau. And then he says, You've then the angel says, You've struggled with God and with man, and you've prevailed. And then Jacob says, uh something, he says something, and I says, I've seen the face of God. And he so he calls in place Peniel. And then he goes, he crosses the river, and Esau runs to him and falls on his neck. And it's like the prodigal son thing. Like Esau receives him and they weep over each other. And then uh, he basically, Esau just forgives him. He's like, take all this stuff from me. And Esau's like, no, basically, it, I don't know if it says forgiveness, but you can tell there's like no ill will. Um, and he receives him. He receives Jacob. And then Jacob says to Esau, I see your face like I've seen God's face. I think it's, oh, I need to memorize it because I'm always trying to flip back there to find it. Because it's one of those passages that's like just really stood out to me now. 33, I think verse 10 and uh so okay 33 verse 4 but esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept um and then it says uh then esau said what do you mean by all this company which i meet and he said these are to find favor in the sight of my lord but esau said i have enough my brother keep what you have for yourself and jacob said no please if i ha have now found favor in your sight then receive my present from your hand in so much in so much as I've seen your face as though I have seen the face of God and you were pleased with me. Um, so please take my blessing that is brought to you. And that's like right off of him seeing the 
like struggling with the angel and saying he saw, yeah, I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. That's what he says. Um, and he limps on his hip. That's what you get for taking your taking your brother by the heel. Let a limp on your hip. Yeah. So I don't know. To me, that seems like that's the struggle, though. That's the struggle of uh, um, of, of Israel, right? Because that's where he gets his name, Israel, too. And it's that struggle between um, how do I get forgiveness and how can I forgive? And both of those things are hard. Like, because how? Like when you when you actually need forgiveness, it's hard to to go before someone and humble yourself like Jacob did, and then. And then when you're the one giving it, it's hard to forgive it. I mean, to give it when the other, you know, the other person is not deserving, uh, especially if they don't want it. Like Christ on the cross, when they're killing you, it's like gosh, it's really hard to give it dead. But I don't know. How's that Nyquil working? It's knocking me out, man. <laughs> <laughs> I've said I was like this before, and I'm like, oh, I put my hand down. Yeah, I do want to. I don't know. Do you guys have anything else? Any more comments or? I'll just I'll just add something really quick that I think um, reinforces what both you guys are saying about this two kind of spheres of forgiveness, the the cosmic and the local, or whatever you want to call it. It's like, uh, and I may just be reiterating what you were just saying, Jason. Is that it's like, it's a sort of reciprocal thing like they, they they impact each other right so to the extent that i refuse forgiveness from above uh, that's going to impact my ability to forgive and to receive forgiveness here on earth as well and then likewise the degree to which i engage in forgiveness in this local realm will impact the degree to which i can receive forgiveness from above right so it's like even though I think there are these kind of two, I think it's helpful to look at this in like two levels of authority for forgiveness. Um, and be because I think each have maybe some distinct things about them that slightly differentiate themselves from the other, right? So, like, for instance, the, the forgiveness down here on Earth is almost guaranteed to be sort of, a, a, at best, a sort of uh, imperfect version of, of that which comes from above, right? Because I can say, I can, I can, I can honestly, I could even honestly believe that I've forgiven someone and then have something come up in a conversation and I realize, oh, like I still harbor this thing against this person, right? So I realize I, I actually haven't forgiven this person yet, right? Whereas the forgiveness from above, like God's not going to be like, oh, I forgot. You lied to your wife the other day, actually. <laughs> I hadn't forgiven you for that yet, right? So it's like, there's, the, there's, it's helpful, I think, to look at it in two spheres and especially regards to that Matthew scripture. Um, but it's also kind of important to, to keep in mind that uh, there's a relation between the two. And to the extent there's a relationship between the two, the, the earthly has to be subservient to the 
and model itself after the the cosmic. Yeah, well put. Yeah. Reliant K, which to bury us or, us or the hatchet? Ah, uh, so good. <laughs> um, great. great. What does it mean that, what is the meaning of this, that Jesus died for our sins? It's a good question. Does it, do you think getting into all these, these questions diminishes that in a way? When we say forgiveness is given to men? Do you think it diminishes the the act of Christ on the cross? Um, no, not, okay. not per se. Because I think it should, if it's if it's right, it should emphasize it and bring greater glory to it. I think. Um, but yeah, I don't yes. know. So, um, that's a really good question. I mean, he's. Right, he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So he reached; he's the first fruits. Um, he's been exalted above the angels, and he reflects the face of God. Right, so I think he's the best, uh, the perfect embodiment of of God in a man. And then I think that's a, uh, and maybe it's something like you know with. Um, how the forgiveness works on the cosmic level and it works through everybody else. I think there is that maybe it gets back to the Acts thing where Paul is continually pleading up. It's like, my brother won't forgive me here, but uh, take me before the King of Kings type thing. Um, I'll appeal to him um, and see what he says. Uh, but I, I mean, I don't know. Um, I mean, he is, I think he is the mediator. He's the bridge, the ultimate bridge. But I think we all are mediators as well because I think it does work through. Um, because if we're all a part of God, it's like you're, you can cut someone off from, from God if you just cut them off from yourself in a way because they don't get to experience that part of life you know unless i mean i can i find it hard to imagine someone who would just be absolutely like just where there's be no god left in them you know i think there's everybody would be does that make sense i don't know if that makes any sense yes i guess, I guess that's what i'm saying where i think we're all kind of mediators because i'm like i don't know but we should all point to christ i think I don't know, would you have an answer for your own question? I'd be interested. I always think that I do. Let's um, hear it. Let's hear it. Oh, you've heard it, man. Trust me. Uh, Is it in the Bible? I, I don't know anymore. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, my sense is that uh, that human, all humans have broken the law and uh, and uh, will be punished for breaking the law, except that that Christ and that Christ steps in and and takes the punishment for us. Yeah, it's really interesting with this 
that he is before the foundation of the world, especially when you think about the law not really coming from Moses, or at least not that law, not the Levitical law, but I guess the, the first law of the garden. It's like Christ was needed just for that, because you know that's going to, I don't know. It's like everybody knew God from the beginning, from the beginning of creation. Uh, and, and refuse to glorify him, right? Is that what Paul says? Oh, from the, uh, oh, in Romans 2? Yeah, uh, one. Is it one or two? Yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't know. The, his works, seeing his works and things like uh, that. It's two. Yeah, I don't know. Does this, is this somehow relate to that heresy you wanted to explore, Christian? I was trying not to say it. I was holding it back a little bit, but yeah. My, so, so I have a follow-up question that can lead to my heresies, which is do you want to get chat. into that? Do, do, I'm down to get into that if you want to. I don't know if you. I will try. I'll try. You don't to. You. Okay. It's up but, to uh, you. I my charger isn't working, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, well, so it's a follow-up. So I can I can ease our way into it through a follow-up question to your question about what does it mean for Jesus? <laughs> what does it mean for Jesus to die for our sins? What does it mean when... You need a timestamp on that one. <laughs> yeah, what does it mean where, where it says that Jesus became sin? And then the, the, the further follow-up to that is after Jesus became sin, then he died and was resurrected. And what does that mean about the existence of sin itself from that point forward? Yeah. Uh, existence of sin. That he became sin, then sin died. And well, we don't think of sin as having risen from the dead. Right. You what? Right. You don't think of sin as having risen from the dead, right? That's like... That was oh. that, that stayed in the grave, right? You know what I mean? That wouldn't come up. You wouldn't think that that would be resurrected in glory with Christ or whatever. Yeah. Right? yeah. So he became sin. And, and then the whole reason that he can forgive us is because he became sin and then died, uh -huh. thereby paying the price for sin itself. And then he was resurrected. Right. Is, so, so what does that mean about the existence of sin? Like, from that point forward, it's kind of a strange thing. Like, clearly, we can still engage in sinful activities. So, in some sense, obviously, sin still exists. And I don't want to necessarily get to the point of saying that, like, uh, I don't know. I'll just leave it at that. I'll say that it's been like on my mind lately. Like, what does that even mean that he became sin? Because it doesn't say that he became like all your sins. It said he became sin and then he died and then he was resurrected. There's probably yeah. some linguistic stuff we're missing, but Jason, it reminds me of Cal, and I don't know who he's quoting, but his false self kind of model. It's like uh, he didn't become. He was never a sinner. He became sin, and that was what was the wrath was poured out on. Mm -hmm. uh, not a, not a. It wasn't a, a personal kind of punishment. I don't know about that. I, I tend to. It's probably something linguistic that we're missing here. But what you're making me think of is the temporal element uh, of how Christ's sacrifice um, 
uh, was made purification for the sin that came before and after it. Mm -hmm. uh, it and it reminds me of Hebrews 2, 8, uh, when he's talking about putting everything under their feet, I think. That is, what is mankind that you're mindful of and the son of man that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, uh, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So you have the everything subject to them, but we don't see that yet kind of thing. Mm. But we, see, we do see Jesus, which is the hope um, that what is already accomplished, we will someday see in full. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because what, <clears throat> what it makes me wonder is... Um, I see forgiveness as a, and Mitch, you actually kind of brought this up, I think earlier is forgiveness is kind of a two part thing, right? There's like, there's the forgiveness that's offered. And then there's the person that's going to choose whether or not they're going to receive the forgiveness in order for that forgiveness, let's say to like, come to its full fruition for it to like get its full effect. And so in my mind, I have a, based on whatever, barring whatever linguistic sort of wizardry is going on, um, Jesus became sin. He died before the price of all sin was paid. Before an, a, a, the forgiveness of all sin is therefore effectively offered. And the, and the punishment for all sin is effectively already paid. But then I have the ability to either receive that, frankly, sort of ridiculous gift, like ridiculous in the best sense of the word, like I, I have the ability to receive that gift or to insist on paying for my sins, despite the fact that Jesus already went through tremendous suffering to pay for it for me. Um, which feels significantly different than the way that I've been taught about, like the fact that Jesus died for my sins. It's uh, maybe not significantly different. It, it it feels more potent to me than the ways that I've heard it articulated before. Like because I've I've always been taught that all sins, like past, present, future, have been paid for by Christ, and that uh, if I'll just receive that gift, right, and it's it's offered to me freely, there's nothing that I have to do to earn it. I just have to receive it, right? And there's there's I mean that's that's ridiculously amazing as it stands. Um, but I didn't. I don't think I ever, until very recently, got the sense that. Um, Like, uh, in some sense, there's nothing for me to pay for, 
whether or not I believe it. Um, I again, I can insist on like still, I I can refuse the gift and still insist on paying the the price for my sins, regardless. Even though the payment has already been fulfilled, right? The ledger is already like wiped clean, right? There's like there's no there's no no sin on my account because it's already been paid for. Um which which kind of feels when I think through what it means to really do that mindful of, of what it would mean, it seems like the most egregious sin possible. So if I'm fully aware of the fact that Jesus became sin and died for me, and so he's offering to pay for it already, and yet I'm I'm intentionally refusing that, that feels like the, probably the most egregious sin in some sense. And, and it, really, it really ties back into the unforgiveness thing that we were talking about before in the, in the unforgivable sin, maybe. Um, so what did, I thought that, you know, it felt sort of heretical for me to say that because I, um, it, it feels like, well, it, it certainly complements Jason's tendency towards universalism, right? This idea that like sin itself is literally already completely atoned for by Jesus. So there's nothing that I have to do except for receive that gift. Um, and yeah, I don't know. There's, I haven't heard it quite like quite articulated that way before where it's that sin itself died with Jesus on the cross. So that's like, what am I doing when I'm sinning then? Right? Like, what am I doing if I'm, if I, if I lie to my wife or if I go murder somebody, like I'm, I'm clearly missing the mark, right? Like I'm clearly sinning. Uh, and yet somehow I'm also not because Jesus already became sin and died on the cross and i know this is getting at mitch probably what you're talking about with the temporal thing with the past present future like specific sins already being paid for um but there's a sense in which depending on what sort of again like linguistic stuff uh i might be missing um there's a sense in which even when I kill somebody, right, that sin has already not existed even as I'm killing that person. Which is very strange to think about. Like I'm trying to see where you're looking from. I feel like you're maybe looking from a very uh you're trying to see it from like a out out outside of space and time. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. like God is like transtemporal, right? He's like omnitemporal or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that he became sin, he became like the totality of, of sin or whatever, like sin itself. Uh, and perhaps sin is even like, like sin as in, like we tend to think of sin in its specific instantiations like theft, lying, blah, 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 and stuff like that. But it's 
but when we talk about uh, God and God moving in someone's life, we don't think of that as like a specific God moving in that person's life. Like we think of it as the God that moves in all our lives, also moving in that person's life. And I think sin is a similar sort of thing. I think sin is not just like this action that I take. Right. Um, and so when, this also gets to the, the, the two layers of forgiveness, right? So like on the cosmic level, right? Me murdering that person is already atoned for, even as I'm doing, even if I'm mindful of the fact that it's already been atoned for by Jesus and I'm just spitting in Jesus' face while I'm murdering that person, it's still atoned for already. And I can, I'm just deciding whether or not I'm going to receive the benefits of that atonement. Um, and yet at the local level, right, I'm going to have to pay the price for that. There's still consequences for it. I'm still going to reap something because of that action that I'm taking, even though it's already atoned for on the cosmic level. Yeah. But there is some real sense in which that like sin doesn't even exist before, during, and after me committing it because of the fact that Jesus became sin and died on the cross. I, it, I don't, I don't even know if it's worth even like talking about it. I it's, think Paul it's like talks metaphysical about it. splitting hairs, but I think Paul talks about it. He says, "What if some are unfaithful? Would their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Of course not. Uh, what then? Can I go on and sin uh, so that God's glory might increase? Of course not. Your condemnation is just. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, God is." Yeah, he's uh, made atonement for the sins uh, of all who believe. And uh, yeah, don't sin. So it's... I, it's. Yeah. No, go ahead, Mitch. Sorry. I was trying to find something else. <laughs> That's all, really. I think it's like, yeah, what you're saying is true. And then, uh, but as far as we're concerned, it's, it's like not, you know, it's like... Uh, he finished the work uh, on the cross. Now, now go and sin more. Right. So somehow it's uh, we justify our condemnation if if we presume on the grace of God in that way. Mm-hmm. Justify. Wait, say that one more time. We justify our conversation if we what? Uh, our condemnation. We justified if we what was the last part? I missed the last part. I was just saying we justify our condemnation if we presume on the grace of God. Okay. In, in, in this way. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting talk because it's like, I, I think uh, seeing from that level, yeah, it does seem like uh, uh, you're looking from like the it is finished point or something from like a. Uh, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. Like all is resolved. The book is closed. Uh, so every the story is complete. So even the murder I did willfully spitting in the face of Christ, like when all is said and done, um, somehow uh, he's going to reach me. Like I won't be lost in all this. He'll, he'll pull me back to himself. But then there still is the, uh, 
like do you want to go through that fire yeah right like is it's like like the, it made me think of this for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries anyone who has rejected moses's law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the son of God underfoot, counted the yeah. blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, for our God indeed is a consuming fire. Yeah, so I don't know. That's like, uh, like I think ultimately, like there's a much worse punishment, right? And there's a punishment uh, is a good thing because like uh, you're being punished. Like, I don't think the punishment's just like absolutely arbitrary. I think it's like probably has a redeeming purpose, but it's like uh, you're sinning willfully and there's not, you know, you, you're going <laughs> to endure a fiery indignation. Um, that's going to at least devour parts of you. It says devour the adversaries. So I don't know. Yeah. It's absolutely terrifying to think of that. So I think like you you maybe could look from like the level you're looking at and say, yeah, um, he became sin. Um, and there is this forgiveness that is the most powerful force that's like ever existed. And ultimately it's going to have its way and it's going to have its will. Like his mercy endures forever. It's going to resolve and restore and renew and uh behold i make all things new but it's like the process of uh that that love um consuming that that consuming fire whatever uh yeah this i don't know because to me like that gets like the image i have of that um part of me thinks like um you know i think you could look at it two ways you could look at it as just like um an angry God just like really just beating someone down. So you could look at it that way, or you could look at it as like, uh, God's just there. And it's like, like the sun is just drawing in closer and closer. And the person is just resisting and just like, uh, and, and, uh, like you actually have the opportunity to, to be clothed with the sun. Uh, but you're just like resisting. And so it's just burning away at everything you're, you're trying to, to keep on to cover up it's like trying to just um so i don't know like if you just it's like somebody like somebody that is just resentful and bitter you just see them devour themselves i personally know this i've experienced it it's not fun Bitterness yeah that's the thing you. is i think you i think you bring like a whether consciously or not if you if you're that person who's aware of the fact that uh, Jesus has atoned for your sins and then you spit in the face of that intentionally, there's a sense in which you are insisting on your own condemnation. You know, like there's, there's a sense in which you're like, it's like, it reminds me of, actually, that's kind of interesting. So there's this, with, in childhood development, and then if childhood development isn't 
effectively achieved for an individual, even into their teens and the 20s, an individual will act out consciously or not to find out where the boundaries are, right? You may have heard this before where it's like the kid is just acting up because he wants to know, he wants to find out. He's testing the boundaries, testing the, to see what, what he or she can get away with. And it's not just, but it's not just to see what they can get away with. It's to find out uh, what the borders are around them, which is also a comforting thing, right? It's like a, it's a stability thing. Um, it's, it's knowing that, well, I, I guess maybe in the spiritual realm, it's like knowing that you belong to a kingdom, right? Because uh, part of what defines a kingdom isn't just the, physical boundaries and stuff it's the the laws and norms and traditions that define that kingdom and uh we need a sense of of belonging right? it's like one of our fundamental needs and again that 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 sense of belonging isn't simply like oh i live in the same house as these people you can feel like a stranger in your own family right and that's because you don't quite fit the mold or whatever the case is and so maybe there's a sense, you know, giving the person the benefit of the doubt, that person who is sinning despite the fact that they know what Jesus has done for them. Perhaps there's a part of, perhaps part of their motive is to test God, to test the boundaries, to see um to uh to get to to experientially know better like who God is and what the boundaries of the kingdom are maybe something like that even if they're doing it in a sort of irreverent way cuz a kid that's acting up like when they're doing it they seem like they it it seems very disrespectful. Like, you know, it can seem like, oh, you're you're sneaking, you're lying, you're stealing, you're you know, blah blah. It seems like you don't want to be a part of this kingdom. And a bad parent would be like, okay, this this uh, three or four year old stole candy out of the cupboard. I'm just going to throw them outside. They don't belong in the kingdom anymore, right? Like, let's say this is like the fourth or fifth time I caught them doing that, right? But of course, like even an earthly parent isn't going to do that, right? And I don't think we're much different, like than a three or four year old when it comes to being in relation to, to God. Um, so I just say that to, I say that to kind of reinforce what you said, Jason, about like, even, even those situations, I think don't necessarily indicate that a person is really trying to permanently cut themselves off from the kingdom of God. Not necessarily. I should go to bed pretty soon. I'm surprised you've lasted this long. That's <laughs> yeah. so why I'm trying to talk more because it keeps me awake. Keeps you awake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. I don't know. It's so much here, man. Just, just reading Hebrews today, and I'm like, goodness gracious, this book is just 
Yeah, I still think it's a fascinating book. I've been talking to Jacob. He doesn't like it. What's he call it? A uh, theological crime scene or something like that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's some stuff in there is very hard to recognize. That's for sure. Yeah. It. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's definitely. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's 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 loaded with stuff. So, we got anything to add, add Mitch? No, I think that's a, a a very gracious way of looking at it. Hey, we can't always get to the bottom of. Uh, well, you don't always know what's behind someone sinning. It's like Paul's zeal, you know, for you know, it just manifested itself in clearly sinful way yeah it's this, this idea of been tossing around that when uh that when jesus says love your enemies he's doing it uh, as a uh protection to keep you from accidentally hating your brothers uh, because you don't always know who your enemies are mm-hmm. uh, yeah, your, so, brother, your enemy could be your brother, or should be, precisely. eventually, yeah, because they could repent, and then it's like... <laughs> Oops, I've been hating my, my brother all this time. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, that's true, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess it's the hope, though, that they would, you know, and yeah, your enemies would become your friends, become your brothers, uh, mm-hmm. ultimately. Yeah, I think that's the thing, too, that's something I was wondering about, too, I'm like, even... It's almost to me, I feel like your enemies would become closer. Does that make sense? Like, your like enemies when you, close. Like, well, yeah, yeah. Well, like when you actually have to go through that process of forgiveness with someone else and it's just such a greater victory when they, yeah, it's like a strong, well, it's like a stronger bond. Like, your enemy, the person who harms you the most. Uh, you have to give them the most forgiveness and so you have to give them the most love and so then it's like you just and there's this I don't know yeah it's like a, they become the closest to you or something because yeah. it's really it's really yeah it's really strange I don't know the Lord works in mysterious what is it how depths and how mysterious are his ways how unsearchable are they whatever that that verse is who knows so um Christian, though, before you go, did you say you're getting sick with something, or? Yeah, just there's something going around my daughter's school. So, like, she's in third grade, and probably about half her class is out sick right now. And she just, uh, we just kept her home today from school, and she had like a 102 fever, and uh, it's like sore throat. Um, and then our our three year old was just not acting her normal self. So we think she might be coming down with it. And then, uh, then yeah, as the day progressed on, my throat kept feeling funnier and funnier. And then I was just like, then I felt like I was already on a bunch of medicine by the time like dinner time came around. And that's like my number one symptom of like knowing that I'm coming down with something is I just, my head is just like in the clouds. Yeah. I'm just like, Oh no. <laughs> Well, now that you're like you're on the NyQuil, you can no, I'm that on gives the you NyQuil, yes. you can say whatever you want and get away with it. Right? That's right. Yes, I can blame it on the NyQuil. Yes, yeah. as those rappers say, blame so it how, on the NyQuil. How many? Yeah, the scissor. 
chicken uh, salad. What's a uh, how many do, how many kids do you have again? Is it just the two? Just the two. Okay, yep. that's what I thought. Yeah, cool. Um, can can I pray for you or we pray for you for you? Guys? Absolutely. All right, yeah, what's your daughter's do. names? Lily is the older one, and Layla is the younger one. So Lily and Layla. Pretty names. Pretty names. Right? <laughs> All right. Well, Father, we just come before you right now, and um, we lift up Christian and his and his entire household, Father, and we just we uh, thank you for your love that you have for him and his daughters, Lily and Layla, and we just want to speak health and healing and life um, into his entire household and to their bodies, and uh, we just thank you for that, Father. We thank you that your um your healing power and your spirit are just flowing through their bodies, giving life to their mortal bodies, um, and uh, just pushing out any sickness or any infirmity, anything that is coming against them uh, to just go right now into just your protection and your, your healing power flowing through them. And whatever this is to just, we just tell it to go right now. And in your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. It's the best I got. It's always, <laughs> always, always embarrassing doing that. I don't know why. Not really embarrassing. <laughs> it's just like, you know, um, uh, I get you in the same kind of way. So, yeah, there could always be a better prayer. Well, I guess I might get. I guess we can get off here. Huh? You gotta, you gotta get some sleep. I think so. But it was enjoyable. It's uh, sorry. It's been a little while again since I've been on. Well, no. I swear we'll pick up Exodus again sometime. Whatever yeah. it is, verse uh, chapters eleven and twelve, or something, at tw- or thirteen and fourteen. I don't remember. Exactly. Yeah, I think we were like. We're getting, I don't know why the first part's always kind of a drag to me. Like the, the part we're just getting to is a part that I always find more interesting when they actually leave Egypt and then it gets like, they go through the desert and stuff. And the, the temple, the for some reason, that's like my favorite part when they're building the, the tabernacle. Yeah. It's, weird. it's a lot more fun to be had there. That's for sure. Yes. But uh, yeah, that would be great, man. Yeah. I like how Craig started this and then he, he bailed. Like, he started it said he wanted he's to been in all of the oh he's talking about this conversation yeah yeah he, oh. he texted me and said like are you free tonight and i was like yeah and that's why i like just sent out an invite to everybody and then as soon as it started he's like tell me about this passage of ezekiel and so then i end up talking for like half an hour and then he's he didn't say hardly anything and he's just like i'm out see ya that's funny big nose did you know mitch is having a child as well no no congratulations thank you less than two months now december 10th nice nice that's crazy i didn't realize it was that soon you're right yeah it's right there it's a game changer it's good it's good stuff to learn from you and others not me well (laughs) i have a lot to learn from you but not on this subject (laughs) well probably (laughs) i can learn from you and no, in, no. In, in ways in this subject in no ways in no ways don't learn from me but is there some translation that says you will know i'm thinking it's like the king james version like sermon on the mount you will know wise be it says no wise you know what i'm talking about no wise be spared the judgment to come over. i don't know i have no idea <laughs> all right old english all right bye guys i guess yeah, love All you right. guys. Talk to you later. Take it easy.